At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 3. Really super excited today as we are beginning our new series looking at Mark chapter 3 through 5 over the next several weeks. And as you're turning there, um, you know, on this past Thursday, some of you know this is coming. Uh, this past Thursday, something pretty significant happened for the city of Detroit. Some of you are like, what? I didn't realize anything happened. Some of you know what happened on Thursday. The Detroit Lions went down to Arrowhead Stadium and beat the defending Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. Some of you are like, why is this? Why, why are you making a big deal about this? I'm going to make a big deal about this because I believe, and not just for fans, but there are many others that are believing this too, that this is the beginning of a new era for the Lions franchise. Some of you are like, I'm not ready yet to drink the Kool-Aid. I've been burnt by this team before. I'm, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not ready to go out and get a tattoo that says Detroit Lions Super Bowl champions 2020. I'm not there yet. I don't, I don't do tattoos myself anyways, but... This team doesn't seem like the same old Lions. This team, I'm beginning to believe that this team has hope this year. You know, I watched the game on Thursday and uh, during the second quarter, you know, I'm, I'm a big skeptic. I'm a big fan, but I'm super skeptical. You know, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. But during the second quarter, the Lions were driving deep into the Chiefs' territory and uh, they're um, inside the 20 and the ball gets snapped and uh, it hits one of the runners going across and Jared Goff bobbles the snap and he is able to recover it. And I'm like, oh no, it's gonna happen again. And then two plays later, uh, he throws the ball and it gets caught and then it a fumble. And I'm like, oh great, here come the same old Lions. Driving on down, can't even get a field goal. Here it is, we're gonna lose the game. And to my surprise, it didn't happen. Even into the, third, into the fourth quarter with seven minutes left, when they go up by one, I'm like, there's no way they're going to be able to hold this lead. There's no way. I was getting ready to turn the TV off because that's what I do. Uh, when I'm watching the Lions, when I know that they're going to lose, that's when I turn off the TV. And I was, I was tempted. I was like, there's no way they're going to be able to do this. Mahomes is going to go down there. He's going to score, and, and we're going to get blown out again. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So I'm excited. There's hope. There's hope once again. And if you have been a suffering Detroit Lions, you know, you feel the sense of hope this season. 
You're like, this is a different team. They may still disappoint us, but right now at this moment, after the week one, there's hope. And we know it, we feel it. And I share that to say, because those that are true fans of the Lions that have suffered for many, many years, we sense this feeling inside of us. But the feeling that we feel, these feelings of hope, are just a fraction of the feeling of the world as it was waiting for the Messiah to come. Right? Think back to what life was like before Jesus came to earth. Right? The world was full of brokenness. God had made all of these promises. He had made promises to his people, and the world knew it because they had his promises in written form. They could go back to the Old Testament, and they could say, God promises this, God promises this, and God promises this. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, from the end of the Old Testament, from the last prophet in the Old Testament till Jesus comes, was 400 years of silence as God's people waited and they waited and they waited. And I wonder, they probably began to wonder, is God still there? Does he still care? But God is faithful to carry out his promises. And as desperate as the world was then and as desperate as the world is today, we see that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the hope. And today we're beginning a new series where we're taking a look at Mark chapter three through five. And in this, we're looking at the benefits and not only what Christ has done to establish his kingdom, but how Christ coming back in the New Testament time, how Jesus coming to establish his kingdom impacts our lives today. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus came? What did he do and, and how he came about to bring about mighty, mighty change? So today we're jumping into Mark chapter 3, and before we get there, let me give you the context of what's going on, because we're jumping into chapter 3. There's two other chapters that have already happened before this, and I love the, the, the Mark as he gives his gospel account, because Mark does not hold, any, hold back any punches. Mark is like super fast as you read through him. It's the shortest gospel, and what he does is like rapid fire. He comes at you. The Lord did this. The Lord did this. The Lord did this. The Lord did this, and it's just like bam. Bam, bam, bam. So it's an amazing gospel because it gives us a, the beautiful picture of Christ and his work. That Christ is not lazy in his work. That Christ is not complacent in his work. But with every step of Jesus' life, it was a step of intention. A step towards accomplishing God's will for our life or for the world and all of humanity. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 kind of sums up kind of gives us the overall agenda for Christ's mission. So Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's basically the story of Mark. Right? The story of Mark is the kingdom is here. Jesus, from heaven, comes to earth. So heaven comes to earth. The kingdom of God comes to earth and is establishing a new kingdom. Through the work of Christ, so our response to the king coming is to repent and believe in the gospel. And we'll explain that a little bit more as we walk through this. So as Jesus is coming, he's saying the waiting is over. The king has arrived. And in chapters 1 through 2, we see the active ministry of Jesus. 
He goes about teaching about the kingdom of God. He's confronting religious leaders. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. And it's like this amazing thing that's happening. Jesus doesn't just come down and do like one thing here and then sit around and wait. No, he's continuing to do a lot of amazing things. And what's happening is people are beginning to see. There's hope that's beginning to stir among the people. Who is this man? The question begins to flutter throughout all the circles. And we see if we jump into Mark chapter 3, verse 7, gives us a, a nice summary of Jesus' activity up to this point. So let's, let's dive into chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea and beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that it was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him, touched him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So when the king arrives, when King Jesus arrives, the crowds go crazy. In many ways, the bandwagon begins. People who had no desire to follow the Lord, had no desire to even care about a, a relationship with the God of the universe, they don't even care. They're just sitting around in their sickness, in their disease, in their brokenness. And now Jesus comes on the scene and they're like, hey, Maybe there's something for me in this guy. Maybe, maybe he can do something for me. And so many times, and we, we see this too happening, that many people began to come to Christ not because of who he was, but because of what he was doing. And if Jesus can do this for someone else, maybe Jesus can do this for me. And maybe that's how you began in your own relationship with the Lord. Maybe you began because you heard or you saw what Jesus did in the lives of other people, and that kind of drew you to him. Well, this is kind of what's happening. So the crowds are coming, and the, the ripple effects of all that Jesus has been doing is, is being passed out throughout the region. So people from hundreds of miles away are coming just to find out who this Jesus is. And then we see in the passage already, too, that as Jesus arrived, the demons begin to go crazy. They realize who he is, and they call out, and they fall down before him, and they're like, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, hey, don't tell these people yet who I really am, because it's not time. And so in some ways, on the earthly level, the world is beginning to, to shudder, the world's beginning to shake, and on the spiritual level, the earth's beginning to shake because Jesus has arrived. Let us not miss that. Jesus is coming to earth to beginning and to establish his, his kingdom through his earthly ministry had ripple effects that were felt, not just in the Middle East. And so today, as we look at this passage, I want us to see that Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Heaven comes down to earth because earth cannot reach heaven. That was tried. It's been tried over and over again. Remember the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament when the people of the world got together and like, hey, let's go up to God. Let's go build a tower to him so that we can have a conversation with him so we ourselves can be God, right? We, we've tried that. Humanity has tried that over and over again. We still try to do that, but we can't reach God. 
God has to come to us to save us. So ever since sin came into the world, humanity has been broken. People have been desperate. Evil has been at work. And now all that which is broken is beginning to be healed and restored. And what does Jesus do? We have a beautiful picture in chapter three into his ministry. Jesus understands that he's not here just to, to get massive crowds to follow him. What Jesus is here is because he's looking for followers. He's looking for those that have a testimony of his grace in their lives. Someone that he's able to enter into their life and that when the kingdom of God enters into the, their life, it brings about this transformation that the world sees someone once was like this and now they are like this and it can only happen through the power of Christ. Jesus is coming. Jesus has come to establish his kingdom in the hearts of people. And so how does he do that? Well, we see in this passage, it begins, Jesus begins calling out disciples by calling some out from the crowd. Jesus calls out from the crowd and look at verse 13. So as, as people are, are collapsing in upon Jesus because of all the things that, that he's been doing, people are just wanting to be touched by him so they can be healed. This great crowd begins to press in upon them. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, let's go get a boat and let's get out of here. And they get close to it and the, the boat, they're, they're, they're afraid. And so what does Jesus do? It says he withdrew, right here in verse 13, and he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. So what Jesus is doing as he's been doing all these great things, he goes out and goes up to a mountain and calls out those whom he desires. It appears as though Jesus may be getting away from the crowd for a time of rest, but again, Jesus does need times of rest, which we see, but Jesus pulls away because he wants to do something, the next thing in his earthly ministry by beginning to call out disciples. So these men were a part of the crowd. These men saw what Jesus was doing. These men began to follow Jesus. And we see in the other gospel accounts, Jesus begins to call out one and one, or one at a time. And he goes to them and says, hey, leave your life now and come follow me. That was the life of the disciple, right? Leave what you're currently doing and just come follow me. Let go of all of your hopes, all of your dreams, and just come follow me. Be a disciple of mine. And we see there that there were some that had begun to follow him in that way. And then Jesus goes to the top and his disciples are going close with him. And from the larger crowd, Jesus calls out others. He calls them to go deeper. See, there are many different ways when we look at the person of Christ and how people in this gospel account and other parts of the gospel and even today in our own life, there are different ways in which people respond to the person of Jesus. Some people take on the attitude of, hey, that's fine. Jesus is a man. I believe that Jesus is a real person that lived at a time in life and that's fine. He's fine. Everyone's fine. Right? That, that's one way that people respond to Jesus. Is that he's just fine. He's just a person that did some things a long time ago, and that's great. There are some people that are fans of Jesus, that are like, yeah, 
I, I believe Jesus did those things. Jesus is a cool guy. I, I like Jesus. I, I'll wear a Jesus t-shirt. I'll go to Jesus church. I'll, I'll do all these things. I'm a fan of Jesus. Then we also see there are some that become fanatics about Jesus, not in a good way, where they begin to, to see Jesus as, as someone that they can control or someone they can use as either a good luck charm or a, 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 a person that they can follow some religious rules after so they become a fanatic about Jesus. Or there are people that, that think about Jesus and consider Jesus and they wanna fight against Jesus. They're like, Jesus did not happen, he wasn't real, he is no one special. But then there are those that through the grace of Christ, have the ability to see Jesus for who he really is. That see him as the son of the living God. That see him as their only hope of salvation. That see him as the one that stepped in their place and bore the wrath of God for their sins. And when you see Jesus in that way, when you see Jesus as the one that takes your punishment, that takes away your shame, when you see him in that way, the one that gives you access to God the Father, your only response is to fall down before him and to say, thank you. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for taking me from a sinner to a saint. Thank you for changing me from the inside out. Man, there are so many people I see in the world today that have not come to that place yet about Jesus. There's even people in the church that have gone to the church their whole lives. They, they, they have this knowledge of Jesus, but they don't, they've never been called out from the crowd. They've never said to themselves or to the world or to their family or to Jesus themselves, Jesus, you're my only hope. All of my hope, all of my life, all of my who I am rests in you. Some people live their whole lives as a fan of Jesus. They, they may even like wear the Jesus stuff. Like there's a big difference. Like for me, I'm, I'm a fan of the Detroit Lions. I can wear the jersey, I can wear the hats, but guess what, I'm not on the team. Right, I, my life has no impact on whether they win or lose. Right, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I can only, all I can do is say, go team, that's it. Now, I might be encouragement to them, but I'm not on the team. See, to be a follower of Jesus is not to sit on the sidelines. To be a follower of Jesus is to be called out and to be a participant in this work of establishing the kingdom of God and spreading the kingdom of God. I love how, and I'm gonna use the King James Version here, because I love how Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, talking about those who are followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus. He says, ye are a chosen generation. Think about that. A chosen generation. Ye are a royal priesthood. Ye are a holy nation. Ye are a peculiar people. That's why I use the King James, because I love that word. He calls it out. You are a peculiar people. When we are called out of the world to be a follower of Jesus, our lives look different. Does your life look different? I mean, some of you may have been called to Christ at a young age and you're like, I don't really know how my life is different. 
Right? You don't have the testimony of, I was a drug addict, I was addicted to this, and, and the Lord dramatically saved me overnight. Like, you, that might not be your story, and that's okay. But your life should look different. You are a peculiar people. You should raise your children differently than the world raises their kids. You should look at your finances differently than the world looks at their finances. Your marriage should look different than the way the marriages look in the world today. Everything about us should look different. That's the way Jesus tells us that they will know we are followers by our fruit, by the way that we live. And over the course of our lives, our lives should look less and less like our old selves and more and more like Jesus. Now, I don't know where you're at today. But I can tell you what, that Jesus is always, always, always wooing us to go deeper. He's always encouraging us to move away from the crowd, away from what's popular, away from what's safe, away from what's acceptable according to the world standards and go deeper into a relationship with him. He's calling us out so that we would take our gaze, our eyes, away from looking out and finding our source of significance, our sense of security, our sense of identity, away from allowing all these other voices to speak into that and helping us to turn away from that, to turn back to him. So that he speaks into our identity. He speaks into our security. Jesus comes from heaven to bring the power of heaven with him so that it can work mightily in our lives to change us. Have you been called out from the crowd? Have you had this sense of calling, this sense of wooing from the Lord, and have you answered? Or are you still sitting on the sidelines? And today could be the day of salvation for you if you're still sitting on the sidelines. Turn away from your sin. Repent from the life you've been living and turn back to Jesus and begin this process of being a disciple, being a follower. Because not only does Jesus call us out from the crowd, the second thing that we see is that we're to spend time with Jesus. That's, that's what followers do. Right? We, that, that's what we, that which we care most about, we give the most of ourselves to. Right? Think about that. What you care most about, you give your best to. Right? If you care so much about your work, you care so much about your, your prestige and your, your power and authority that you have at work, and you give the best of yourself to your work and you come home and you've already done that, you don't have the best for your family. Right? What we care most about, we give our best to. Two, and the same goes is, is true here. It says, we see in, in Mark chapter three, verse 14, that the disciples, those that were called out, spend time with Jesus. Look in verse 14. He says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. The whole idea of calling out this small group from the greater crowd, some were followers, Right? Some were disciples, some were just fans, but he's calling some out and he's calling even a smaller group out to be a, later to become apostles because he wanted them to spend time with him. 
Jesus has great plans for those whom he calls out. And we see that he gives them the name apostles, which literally means sent ones. Right? He has work for these apostles to do. They're going to be establishing the church, and they're going to be helping begin this new thing called the church as Jesus leaves. But simply, he calls them out. And I love how Jesus gives us a great model for discipleship. And we see this even in our own world today, to be a disciple or to be an apprentice of someone. Right? Simply what you do is, first of all, Jesus calls these, these men unto himself and he says, simply follow me. I don't want you to do anything. Don't touch anything. Right? Don't, don't touch anything. Like, simply just come and follow me. Watch me. Watch me as I care for people, as I love people, as I teach them about the kingdom of God, as I do all of these healings and I do all of Just simply watch. Right? That's how Jesus begins. And he begins in our own lives, too. You simply begin just to follow Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Learn his heart. Learn his character. And then there comes a time in the discipleship process, which we see in Scripture, that Jesus says, okay, you've watched enough. You've seen how I've done this. Now you go do with me watching. So, So instead of Jesus moving from the front where he says, just follow me, Jesus moves to the side. And he says, okay, now you go do. We'll watch, and I'll, I'll correct along the way. And we see that happening. Right, there, there are times in which um, Jesus gives his disciples the uh, authority and the power to cast out demons. Right? And there's this one time that there's this one demon that they're like, we can't do anything. And so they, they come back to Jesus and they're like, hey, our, our powers are we're, we're powerless against this. And Jesus says, this kind of demon can only come out through prayer. Right? And so it's that, it's that teaching. It's the, you do, I'm going to correct and, and continue to guide and direct you. And then... In the discipleship process, remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, he says, now you go do all authority in heaven and on earth. I give to you, now go and make disciples. So Jesus moves from the side to moving behind to empower to do the work. What a beautiful discipleship process. Right, we see that even you're a journeyman, you're an apprentice, as, as a plumber, um, as a mechanic, like in all those other areas, that, that's what happens. You begin by just watching. I know even as a teacher, I started out, I, I went to school uh, to be a teacher, and I had to do student teaching. Right? First, I went to school, and I, I watched the teacher teach, and then I did student teaching, and the student teacher t- told me one day, they're like, do you even want to be a teacher? I'm like, okay, I must, that must not be what I'm cut out for. Um, but then I graduated and they sent me out and two years later I had a classroom of kids and I'm like doing it on my own. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it is supposed to be in our Christian walks as well. Right, so as Christians, we have to make spending time with Jesus a priority. Right, if we, if we are a follower of Jesus, we gotta spend time with our leader. We've got to spend time with our leader in a weekly basis like this. This is important. This is important work. For the word of God, the truth of God is being proclaimed to you. That which is true is being spoken over your life and you're receiving instructions. Right? This is not, you're not here just to come and listen. You're here to learn and you're here for transformation because there's authority in the word of God. This is important. But again, as I said earlier, this, is not, this cannot be your only way that you feed your spiritual life. 
the only time that you spend time with Jesus. You need to spend time with him on your own, being a student of the word, reading. I understand it can be confusing, but there are so many tools that are out there for, for you to help you in your own personal walk. But also you gotta do it in groups, through live groups. Right? Be a part of a life group because that's how you're going to be able to spend time not only with Jesus, but you get to spend time with Jesus' people. Right? Other followers that are they're struggling along the way that they're like, hey, I, I know this to be true because the word of God says so, but I'm hard, it's hard for me to experience this truth in my life right now. And you need others that will encourage you. Right? That's why it's so important for us to spend time with Jesus alone, spend time together with Jesus corporately, and spend time with Jesus in groups. So not only does Jesus call out from the crowd, Jesus calls to spend time with him, and third, Jesus is given authority to minister. Look at me the second part of verse 14. He's done all this that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the 12, Simon, who he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonagaris and sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. So what does he do? Jesus gathers them close and he appoints 12 that he might send them out the whole purpose of drawing them close was to to teach them and to help them understand who jesus really is so that he could send them out to do what to preach right he sent them out to preach now sometimes we we read that word and we're like well does that mean like what pastor jeff does every sunday morning no it's not the same word Simply what he's saying is he's telling them that he's going to send them out to tell others or to proclaim to others the good news. What is the good news? Jesus. So he's saying, I'm sending you out so that you can tell the good news of Jesus. Share the gospel. Share the gospel that simply says that we are sinners that we are born with this sin nature, that where we want to rebel against God, we don't want him to have authority over our lives, and because of sin, sin has to be punished because God is a holy God, and our sin must be punished, but God loves us still so much that he sent Jesus to step in our place, to be obedient in every way that we couldn't, and to die a death that we deserve. So Jesus goes to a cross, and the sins of the world are placed on Jesus. Jesus endures the wrath of God. Jesus dies and is raised again. And because he is raised again, now death has been put to to death and sin, the penalty for sin has been paid for. And if we would believe in Jesus, if we would turn from our sinful ways and begin to place all of our trust and hope in the work of Christ, we too can be saved. We can be children of God. We can be, um, the, the, the distance between a holy God and a sinful man can be bridged to the person of Christ. And we can have hope. That's the gospel. That, that, that's the gospel. It's not complicated. Right? You don't have to have a master's degree to communicate. I mean, think about these apostles. Many of them were fishermen, tax collectors. They were everyday people. That God says, I'm calling you out because I've got something that I want you to do. And the difference is, is that he doesn't just call them out to go do something on their own. He calls them out and gives them something to do with authority. 
But that, there's a big difference when you have authority, right? Like imagine for me that I, I go, down to, um, go down to Ford Field. Somehow I'm able to make it into the stadium. Somehow I just, and then I happen to go into the Detroit Lions locker room. Right, and I begin to like set up right next to Jared Goff's locker. I begin to like put my stuff in there, and I begin to, you know, I'm looking for my own jersey, and so I'm pulling all that stuff around. And the team comes in. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to look at me, and my behavior is weird and it's awkward. Why? Because I don't have the authority to be there. Right, I'm just some guy that's, that's, I'm a stalker, crazy fan. They're calling security. They're like, what is this guy doing here? Get out of here. You don't belong here. Right, that's awkward. Because I don't have authority. I don't have, I don't have the right to be there. But with Christ, we have the right to be there. He's given us authority. He has given us authority. He's given you authority to be a spokesperson for him. Another way of saying it is to be an ambassador. Right? You are the face of Christ to the people in your spheres of influence. Do you realize that? He's given you authority. To be that, he has said, I believe enough in who I am and the power of the gospel living in you that I'm going to allow you to represent me. Wow. Wow. Do you ever think about that? Like, you are the face of Christ to the world. You have been given authority. You're not a fake. And the world doesn't need to see your perfection. They're not looking for you to, to have the prim and proper Christian life. What they're looking for you is to see your walk. Right? That's what they need to see. Not your perfectness. They need to see that you walk with Jesus in humility. Right? Because so many times in our lives, sometimes with the authority that we've been given, we make Jesus unapproachable. We make him unapproachable. Well, they're like, well, that person's been changed by Jesus. There's no hope for me. I, I, one, I don't want to be like that person, right? I don't want to be like that. If, that. if that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. Because that person's not approachable. That Jesus is not approachable. Instead, we, with this authority, we engage in the darkness, unafraid, because we have authority. So Christians, are you engaging in the work of ministry? Are you engaging in doing things that will allow your light to shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? Is that, is that indicative of your life? Are you more like the person that's got all this authority, all of this power, and you're shrinking back? And you're like, I can't let anyone know I'm a Christian. I'm gonna study my Bible in silence. I'm gonna go to church I'm not going to tell people where I'm going on Sunday. When people at work on Monday say, how was your weekend? You're like, you tell everything about your weekend except for the fact that you come to church. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're to live in the power and authority of Christ. And I want to just share with you for a moment God's story in my life. Right? I, I know what he's saying here to be true, because I've experienced it in my own life, right? I was called out from the crowd. God saw fit to save me, not because I have goodness inside of me, but because of his good pleasure, 
He took pleasure in me. And so he called me out of the crowd. And that calling out of the crowd began when I was five years old. I was at a small church and that night we had just had a fellowship. Like we, you know, like a, like a potluck. You guys remember potlucks? I, amen. I love potlucks. We had a potluck at our church. And I was walking down the hallway and my, my uh, older sister, my older brother were in the pastor's office. And I'm like, oh, they're in trouble. They're sitting down with the pastor. And I'm like, I went to my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, what, what's going on? Are they in trouble? And my mom's like, no, no, no. They, they just want to give their life to Jesus. They want to become followers of Jesus. And I'm like, oh. What's that about? You know, I was, I was a, my, my testimony begins in this way, right? When I tell people that I was born into a Christian family, right? Many of you, how many of you were born into a Christian family? How many of you are embarrassed by that? <laughs> Some of you are, right? So many times we're like, well, my testimony's not that great. I was born into a Christian family. Do you realize how amazing that is? Like, that is a testimony in and of itself. Praise God you were born into a Christian family. Why? Because of the, the faithfulness of God to the generations before you and the faithfulness of God to the generations after you that are present in the fact that you were born into a Christian family. That, that's, lead with that. Because that tells of the grace and the testimony of God's grace to the generations. Praise God you were born into a Christian family. I was a drug baby. I mean, my parents drug me to church all the time. I was, <laughs> some of you are like, oh, that just took a turn. I, every time the church doors were open, my parents were taking me there, taking me there. And when I was five years old, for the first time in my life, my mom began to share with me the gospel. Well, she shared it before that, but the first time I heard it, right? I knew at five years old, I was a sinner. I knew that I deserved to go to hell and I didn't want to go to hell. And so I'm like, mom, mom, tell me, what do I got to do? What do I got to believe? And she's like, well, you've heard of Jesus, right? I'm like, yeah, I know Jesus. I know all the stories. I've been, I've been in church my whole life. I know all the stories. She's like, well, you've got to give him your life and you've got to confess that you're a sinner and you've got to believe. Okay, okay, I'm in. So at five years old, I gave all that I knew of myself to all that I knew about Jesus, which wasn't a whole lot. But as a five-year-old, I knew that I needed Jesus in my life. So I continued on and continued to grow, continued to go to church, all those good things. And it wasn't until I got into high school, I was at a high school retreat where the pastor was talking about that followers of Christ produce fruit, that we are known by our fruit. And so I began to, to really just look into my own life. And I, I was a good kid. You know, I did some stupid stuff. But I began to say to myself, man, am I, am I really producing fruit or does my life just look like everyone else? And it did. My life looked like everyone else. I wasn't, dis, I wasn't a peculiar person. I was a person that just looked like the crowd. And so I began to doubt my salvation at that time. And so I went back home after the, the retreat and I went to my mom and I'm like, mom, what? I don't know if I'm a Christian. And she says, well, no, I, I, believe, I was there. I believe that you have genuine faith, but maybe what Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to be a follower now. Like press in and follow him, get to know him. So I was called out at five. And in my teenage years, I began to realize that I needed to have a walk with Jesus. And so I began devouring God's word. I began reading it. I didn't understand it, but I began reading it. And I really began to, to get involved in my youth group at church and really began to, to walk out this Christian life, even among my friends. I had to say goodbye to some of the friends that I had 
because they weren't pushing me to Christ and I wasn't yet ready to be an influence in their lives. That came later. But I began walking with him while I was in high school. And then it wasn't until later on that I was getting ready to graduate from college and I'm like, Lord, what do you wanna do with my life? Finally, I was listening to him and saying, God, here's my life, use it. And he said, he finally called me out and he's like, okay, I want you to be a minister of the gospel. I want you to give your life to me for Christian service. And I'm like, I don't know what that means fully, but here's my life. And from that time, God has continued to, to grow me and change me. And it's this understanding of my life is not my own. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I pray that impacts every aspect of my life. From the way I love my wife, to the way I care for my kids, from the way that I represent myself to the world. See, this is true. This is true, what Jesus is saying here. Jesus calls us out. He calls us to spend time with him and he gives us authority to minister. I mean, you have authority to minister. You're not useless. The world may say that you're useless. The world may say, we wish you were more. We wish you had more. We wish that you were smarter. We wish you had different skills. And Jesus says, I've given you all the authority you need. You don't need anything else to be a minister for me. Would you step up and be available? I don't know where you are today in your walk, but I do know this to be true, that if we give Jesus control of our lives, if we allow the kingdom of God to rest in our hearts, that will change us. That will change the way we think, change the way we feel, it changes the way that we live. Can you say today, that with your life, with your heart, you've gone all in. You've given all of yourself, all that you are, you've laid it on the altar and you've said, Jesus, here is my life. And then after you do that, you ask the question, what do you want me to do next? Maybe that's a question you need to ask yourself today. God, what do you want me to do next. Not, God, here's all my problems. God, heal this, fix this, fix this. Maybe, maybe don't pray that prayer right now, but instead, Lord, what do you want me to do next? And then let him answer. And then obey what he says to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words of truth today. We thank you for the life that you give. We thank you that you are not a God that is distant, but that you are a God that came to us to save us, to change us and transform us by the power of your name. Father, I pray for those here today that are struggling in their walk, that they would be encouraged. I pray for those today that might not yet know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call on your name and they would be saved. But Father, I pray that we would all be obedient to the next step that you're calling us to today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.